this week on the Afro Beats podcast. My my experience prior to grinding was like every time around the holidays when I was younger, like Christmas, Thanksgiving, I would go down to my grandmother's house. Uh, she lived in North Carolina, and we had these amazing like dishes. Like we had uh, like sweet potato pie, we had like collard greens, mac and cheese, things like that. And uh, all things I knew from there were always fresh. Like we actually went out and got yams from the garden, you know, we mm-hmm. got collard greens from the garden and like brought them in and washed them and, you know, helped prep them and things like that. You know, we churned our own ice cream at one point, things like that. And wow. so from an early age, I knew what fresh food tastes like. I kind of lost it over the time and then kind of got back as I got older and like I started cooking more. Um, well, that was my first experience. But before that, honestly, I, I had a lot of experience that happened in a short period of time. It was like a three year kind of like turnover for me, like know nothing about gardening to me now <laughs> teaching other people about gardening. And now I'm like pretty much obsessed. So today's episode is going to be a throwback episode. I had a little technical difficulties this week, um, but we'll be working on that and, and up and running soon. So today's episode is from the podcast Sustaining with Shana. Uh, during this conversation, Shana and I talk about my journey to veganism and urban gardening in the big city, you know, how I connect my people back to the land. This was a great, wholesome episode. Definitely check out Shana and her podcast. Um, she's doing some great work over there. And uh, we'll be back next week with our scheduled programming. But uh, till then, without further ado, let's get into it. What's up, y'all? It's your boy. Watch this. Give me a beat. You're listening to the Afro Beats podcast. Garden table content inspired by culture and soul. about in my third year of kind of like being in this space and starting the brand so Afrobeats actually kind of started off of um, me doing a, a service project I was in this program called City Year and um, they're basically like a nonprofit who goes around they usually serve in schools but they also have the kind of physical volunteer work that they do and so we were doing you know this is an AmeriCorps program so it's like a year of service and we were doing a Martin Luther King Day service project and my project just happened to be in this community in Back Bay, Boston. And it was this Puerto Rican neighborhood, uh, senior citizens who lived in this complex and we were basically making soup kits for them. And so we had all the different vegetables, the, the cuisines, the, the products that they used to make their soups and, and their culture. And we were just putting those together. But uh, I actually met an entrepreneur there, uh, entrepreneur named Josh there. And uh, Josh owns this company called Fresh Truck. So Fresh Truck, converts, you know, these old school buses into produce markets and basically goes into, you know, food apartheid, food deserts, whatever you want to call it, and kind of serves the community through these produce markets. There's a lot of communities who just don't have access to fresh fruits and veggies and things like that. And so this was a way to kind of like combat that. And so I was just amazed by this. I wanted to learn more. And he, as I learned, you know, what he was doing, what his mission was, I went deeper in myself and I started researching on people like you know, Ron Finley, the gangster gardener, um, just people who looks like me who were in the space and trying to find a solution. And I was like, hey, I'm just gonna like start growing some shit one day. And uh, I just got good at it. At one point I started, you know, really, really bad at first. I mean, like everything I touched like immediately got killed. And uh, 
but I, I got eventually some production. And, you know, I remember my first vegetable was this, like radish, like the size of my thumb. And uh, I got really excited about it. I started growing more and more and more. And people were like, hey, are you like, you know, vegetarian? Are you vegan now or whatever? Because you're eating a lot of vegetables and it's because that's what I was growing. And I was like, oh yeah, I could, I could do that for a couple couple weeks, that, that vegan thing. And so I tried it. Um, felt like I had like superpowers basically because I was eating so much fruit and veggies at the first time. And uh, after a while, I just kind of stuck with it. And so Afrobeats was just my documentation of that journey of connecting back to the land, connecting back to the culture, you know, through the lens of food. Yeah, yeah. It's exciting to see kind of the progress that's happened and changed over time. And speaking from like my own personal experience, I've uh, used to work as a uh, kind of like a sustainable agriculture educator at a summer camp uh, the summers between college when I was still doing my undergrad. And I, what I know now <laughs> compared to what I knew like that first summer is like completely different. And like knowing different things as far as like when you're, when you're supposed to water, how mm. much you're supposed to water to what nutrients the plant needs because of the color of its leaves. Like those simple things are so, so important. Um, so one of the things that you mentioned is speaking from like a black cultural experience and mm -hmm. how uh, there's kind of this disconnect to the land and nature. So you had an episode recently, I think it was episode 29 to be exact, where you talk about this disconnection with the land. Can you talk a little bit more about that? for listeners that may have not uh, heard you speak about that or don't currently follow you yet. For sure, for sure. I actually have, hold on one second, I have the book right here. So the book is called uh, Black Nature, Four Centuries of African-American uh, Nature Poetry. And it's edited by Camille Dungy. And basically it's a book of just black people talking about um, their relationship with nature and the relationship, you know, with everything that has to do with gardening, you know, just being outdoors. And uh, a lot of our history with nature is, it, it, it's wrapped up in trauma, but it's also wrapped up in, in power too, because we come from a people um, as a culture who have been masters of the land for a long, long time, you know, even from you know, starting our ancestry in Africa, you know, we were growing like okra, we were growing yams, and those are the things we brought over with us uh, through the trauma of the slave trade. So like, even though all those things were going on, we had the peace of mind to really still connect back to the land. And so my episode with that was just saying like, hey, like people, the systems um, at B would have us believe that, you know, we're people, you know, concrete, and uh, like brick and we're only city people um, but that's you know the furthest thing from the truth like we have a natural and spiritual connection to the land um, that goes way back in our ancestry and so that was kind of restating like hey don't say you have you know a black thumb or brown thumb uh, you're just basically out of practice like this is in your bloodline this is something that is within you already and so this book uh, was something I just really wanted to talk about and like share with people because 
it shows all the different perspectives. It, it showed that, you know, even through slavery and different things like that, you know, people still have that connection to the land and we, we still do. And we're, we're starting to get back in a lot of ways. Yeah, actually, I think I've came across that book uh, within the last few weeks since uh, there's an influencer on Instagram that started this intersectional environmentalism platform. And that was one of the books that she suggested on her list of like combating racism and the climate crisis or environmental injustice together. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so with your experiences as a gardener to a podcaster to an educator and also a vegan, um, what I would love for you to share more about your experience with that because I think there's kind of a certain stigma of veganism in this country and it's more diverse than we realize it is. Oh, absolutely. Like, yeah, when you, when you think of veganism, you think of white, like hippie type of person. Um, first of all, <laughs> veganism, well, it didn't always have the name of veganism, but it's been around for a, a long time. When you look at Jamaican culture, Rastafarian culture, that's pretty much like vegan um, in a lot of ways. Um, the Tom movement, uh, there's just there's cultures that have been doing it for a while so this 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 whiteness around veganism that is just very like stereotypical like they belong to PETA like throwing blood on people like that's one way of seeing it but that's not the whole picture you know um black americans um we're like one of the largest groups of vegans right now actually when you look at it statistically um our group because a lot of it is health reasons even though it's a, a very much an animal movement uh, we are leading um, that transitioning uh, within our culture. And so when you, when you talk about veganism and only a white lens, only you're, you're talking about a very like small fraction of what that actually is made of. Uh, I could, I, I employ everybody to at least try it, you know, for a week and see how they feel. And for me, it was just like life changing because it not only made me think about my health in a different way, it also made me think about the environment uh, how animals are treated and how that's all connected in one. It's not like one thing is being affected by that choice. There's just so many things you have, like you said, the environment, you have the animals, and then you have your own health. And what I've learned is that there's a synergy between all three of those things, which are the main factors of why people choose this lifestyle. And once you recognize that everything is connected, you have more of appreciation for those things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think even with you saying that, um, I think we get caught up in this consumerist kind of culture too. That's also very white dominated where it's like, we have to have all the answers before we start, or we have to go out and buy all these elaborate things to become vegan. And as somebody like myself, who's kind of like sort of getting on that path towards full veganism. Um, I mean, it's hard, but I think it's a lot easier than we realize. Um, and also another thing to your point is I actually uh, read a, a statistic 
that uh, similar to what you mentioned, maybe it was the same one, like a, less than a week ago about it's significantly higher that black people are uh, a significantly higher amount are vegans compared to white people. For sure. Yeah, yeah. it's, it's just something that we're starting to realize in our culture, because when you look at other issues, you know, there's more black people dying from like, you know, food related diseases or diseases that are preventable by like a proper diet than there are, you know, black people being killed by cops. Unfortunately, it doesn't seem like it, you know, in this time period, but that's the truth, you know, and that is happening on a much larger scale and something we need to pay attention about. And so when you have fast food places in some of our communities and, you know, these dialysis centers and things that are getting popped out that are not for our good, um, there's no wonder why people are, you know, turning to that specific type of lifestyle. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so kind of expounding on that, is there any advice you have um, that you've kind of found successful on a path towards becoming a vegan, uh, as well as uh, following you on Instagram, I see that you kind of have your own garden at home and what things people can do and simple things people can do right in their homes to kind of start both of those journeys. For sure. I would, my first advice and tip would be kind of keep your mind open on the possibilities through the, the, the vegan lifestyle or the plant-based lifestyle. My um, depth of dishes and different foods have only expanded since I've become a vegan because I recognize that there are, you know, 40,000 different types of edible plants over, over that, like way over the top. Like there's so many different plants and things you can eat and, you know, exchange with like, you know, when I, I didn't start eating flowers until, you know, I became vegan, things like that, like I wouldn't consider, um, but it expands everything. And once you make that connection with gardening too, it's really about, you know, you put all this effort into this growing this thing, like growing a tomato, it takes a lot of effort, you know, growing eggplant, things like that, it takes a lot of effort. So once you grow something, you really appreciate it for how much work it takes and you have more connection to that process. And you'll really want to find out, hey, what is the best way I can utilize, you know, I put my blood, sweat, and tears into this thing. Like, how can I really utilize this? It just gives you more of appreciation for food. And uh, yeah, I think it's about educating yourself and just try swapping out stuff that's in your favorite meals. And you'd be surprised with what you can create, basically. Mm -hmm. So with what you've, like, grown over the years, mm -hmm. and especially since becoming vegan, what's probably your favorite what's what's your favorite part or what's like your favorite dish that you've made from what you've grown i i'm in the process of growing um scotch bonnet peppers which is very close to a habanero pepper except for it's like a hundred times better it has like a lot more flavor and it's it's hot it's really hot but it also has like a fruitiness to it and so i like using that pepper in um like veggie patties um uh, I like Jamaican patties. I like using them in like different stews. I use it in uh, like jollof recipes, like the jollof rice. Um, those are like a couple things. Those have been my favorites lately, but I'm just continuing to expand and grow in that. I really want to grow um, Kalaloo, which is like this very like hearty green. And like it's using Caribbean culture a lot and they eat it with like a ton of stuff. And so as I think about how I grow as a gardener, 
I want to continue to incorporate those cultural crops too, because that also brings a connection um, to history and to the land. I, I say that like food and um, gardening are the best ways to connect to the past because you're, you're getting the recipes from the food, you're learning about, you know, why do people grow certain things, you know, together? Like right now I have a, uh, a pot of kind of like veggies that includes eggplant, parsley, and basil. And when I think about those things, I'm like, why do these things grow well together? Why can I put these things together? You know, those are all from the same part of the world, typically. You know, I think about it like Italian food and those all grow around each other. So it makes sense that that's the cuisine and that's what's used in a lot of Italian dishes. And so it just, it's just crazy how it kind of makes you think about different vegetables in different countries and uh, the history behind those things. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because... You, I think you posted an Instagram story video or something a couple of weeks ago where um, you had corn growing and then it was pole beans. Mm -hmm. And then what was the third plant that went with it? It was corn. Uh, it was like a summer squash and then the beans. Yeah, the three sisters. And that comes from like indigenous Native American culture. And that was actually, I work at the uh, Washington Youth Garden located in the Arbor Room. And that was our uh, farmer in there kind of like introducing and showing us how these things work together. And so basically um, you want to start off with the corn because the corn is kind of the pole that the, the beans will wrap around. And that's, it supports that. The beans also provide like a ton of nutrients for everything in the area. And so they're helping each other. And then the squash kind of helps to keep like different pests and things away. And so hmm. there's this synergy between these three crops and items that the, the Native Americans who created that system just like they just knew they just knew like those things go together and they paid attention and they saw how um, nature could work with each other and just be one in that way and so I like that video specifically because our farmer uh, Xavier was saying all these things are usually found on one plate and so when you think about I think it's like some of those like succotash dishes um, then in a lot of like Mexican foods, like you usually have some type of bean, you have some type of corn, there's usually squash in there. All those things work together well on a plate because they also grow around each other very well. So that's mm -hmm. another example of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and when you first posted that, the just, it, I don't know, I guess it's just because like not necessarily learning how to garden and growing up with the land like that that when you posted that it blew my mind I was like yeah. wow I am growing beans the wrong way there's there's so many ways to do it there's so many strategies and everything but they, they definitely have it right I'm, I'm trying to do it myself because I just focus mostly on container garden so I'm like how can I downsize this and you know make this work at home it's so cool it's it's awesome yeah so with living in like metro DC what would you say is probably um like the biggest drawback or the hardest part about this now whether it's limited in space or even like does the sorry does the city on a municipal level even like encourage it yeah uh, i think a couple of those things you mentioned are definitely challenging uh when you think about space uh in the city the problem is there's buildings and things you tend to be higher and so they cast a certain shape so I have like a huge backyard in the back of the apartment and I can only really put like kind of like tropical uh like 
forest type plants back there because there's just so much shade like it's pretty much a jungle back there even though i live in the city mm -hmm. the way they put trees up uh, i just don't get enough sun to get the, the, the food production i can put herbs i can put uh, leafy greens back there but if i want to grow tomato back there i'm not gonna have a lot of a lot of mm -hmm. luck, you know and so thinking about that you have to think about lighting because of the shade of the area um you do have to think about uh some like you know pollutants and things like that i live uh, not too far away from like North Capitol Street, and it's a busy it's a busy street. Like you can literally see the Capitol like from where I live. Mm -hmm. and, uh, so you, you got all kinds of stuff that like flying around. You got urban like tumbleweed and things like that. You have to worry about. Um, but other than that, there's still there's still ways. There are also benefits to growing in the city too. Um, for instance, if you're growing containers, I don't deal with nearly as many pests as they do at the garden in the arboretum. Um, and so there's some control in that instance. Uh, one thing that is challenging is if you're growing in a container, uh, there's, there's not that network of nutrients you get from other parts of the land. So if you're growing like straight into the ground, you have some trees, you have some grass and things like that that work together harmoniously that like allows you to pull more nutrients from the ground. But if you're growing in container, that plant that's in that container is sucking up all the nutrients. And so you're constantly having to kind of replace that in a way. Uh, but besides that, there's, there's also some benefits. Yeah, the city can, the city doesn't care sometimes. So like you can get away with a lot if you're, if you're strategic about it. Like, I see people grow sunflowers and traffic mediums and things like that. Mm -hmm. And uh, so it's really cool. Actually, DC is a actually pretty good urban garden city. If you walk through some of these neighborhoods, there's people growing all kinds of stuff in all kinds of ways. And it's actually really beautiful to see. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think as you were saying that, I... I saw something on Facebook a couple weeks ago, um, and this might have been like right after George Floyd's murder, where um, I think it was a Black Lives Matter protest, and it might have even been um, Minnesota, and there were people that were taking out the 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 ornamental flowers in front of the state capitol and actually putting like fresh produce mm. in instead so like plants that you could harvest uh food from and it's just like imagine the idea of like having municipal plants or like municipal gardens that instead of it being ornamental flowers that serve no purpose that it could be replaced with vegetation that serves many purposes. Yeah, that would be that'd be incredible. And I, I think there's definitely people looking creatively to figure out ways to do that. Yeah, yeah. And I feel like an, a situation like that could solve maybe not all these problems in cities, but it could at least help to reduce some food insecurities and maybe supplement um, some food deserts that happen in different parts of cities. Um, yeah, I don't know. I feel like we need to rewrite policies to kind of make those things possible, for sure. Yeah, uh, I, definitely, I definitely think the first step is starting at home, though, and like really building that community. I noticed like the more I like garden out in the front, that's why that's that's the benefit to doing like a front yard garden. People mm -hmm. are always wondering like what you're up to. They're just like people are naturally nosy and you can kind of share with them. Like my neighbors, I have conversations with my neighbors. The first conversation we had was 
about, you know, plants. And I gave them some like cuttings of like coleus I was growing and different things like that. And um, we build a bond that way in a community that way. So. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a exciting way to build relationships with other people. Um, so kind of going off of that and then uh, bouncing back to what we talked about with your uh, your one episode that you had with relationship to land. What is your personal um, relationship with the land? Like how, how would you describe it? That's a good question. I think I would describe it as like a spiritual experience, um, a way to like ground myself into what's important. When you start to grow and then start to let yourself just be around nature and be in the moment, of taking care of somebody that's not yourself. Um, and I say somebody like it's a real person, but like in a lot of ways, plants are like living beings as well. Uh, so I think about, it, it grounds me in just being a better person, I feel like, and really understanding kind of like where we come from in our, our place and everything. When you're, when you're gardening, you take time to be still and you take time to focus on the least important things are not you, you focus on not the you know day-to-day -day life things and so it's it's a way to stay focused it's a way to uh, connect with people and it's it's a way to uh, be empathetic and I just feel like a good person and I feel nicer and I feel like talking to people you know when I'm gardening uh, it just mm -hmm. puts me in a better headspace for sure mm -hmm. yeah it's for me, it feels really therapeutic to be yeah. out in the garden. Um, and actually, somebody told me fairly recently, and I never realized this, but there's like microbes in the soil mm. that are actually good for us that get absorbed by our hands and feet when we're in the uh, when we're out gardening, and how that's like healthy for our brain and all these different things. And I just I never thought about gardening to that depth mm -hmm. and how like how much of an impact that makes and it was interesting how you also mentioned that it kind of allows you to be more empathetic and uh, build relationships with other people and it's interesting you say that because one of the other uh, guests I have on for this series of the podcast uh, she represents the North Philly, uh, the North Philly Peace Park. And it's interesting where it's an urban space, it's an urban garden, almost an urban farm, but also on the property, they have these conflict resolutions that happen all the time, or people will walk to the park and have their disputes or disagreements in the middle of the garden rather than having it on the sidewalk or in their homes. And it's allowed for a more peaceful way of dealing with situations. Mm, that's, that's, that's good. Yeah. I, so I was a teacher like uh, about a year ago, actually coming up and, you know, when kids were having discipline problems in schools, like they would actually take them out to the garden and like do some hands-on work with them. And that really made all the difference. Like they were just so much more calm. They could actually focus on something that was not like whatever problems they were going through. And 
especially for kids, like it's, it's therapeutic to just be in the ground. Like sometimes I'll just go outside, even on like my porch and just like not wear shoes. Like we were always told growing up, like make sure you wear shoes, you might cut your feet or something like that. I, I used to naturally do that as a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, now I'm getting back to it and realize like, wow, like it's a diff- different connection, like actually being connected to the land, like through your feet rather than like through your shoes. It just feels different. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I was always the kid that when summer would hit, that I would hardly ever wear shoes when I was home. So I really resonate with that, for sure. Um, but also a point that you made there about how uh, having worked in a school and taking mm-hmm. kids out to a garden to resolve a conflict, mm-hmm. I can't imagine if that was a program that existed in every school and how starting that out with kids at a very young age, I can't imagine what that could mean for just resolving an issue to people uh, developing this relationship with their environment, whether it's natural or not. Like so many things there are so positive, even from like a developmental perspective. For sure. Yeah. I, I find that kids in the garden is like necessary in like curriculums. Um, that's what I do when I work at the Washington Youth Garden where, you know, some of these kids, like I said, live in those urban environments and they don't see much grass at all, some of them. And so being able to take a little piece of that with them at home is like super important and super effective to like connecting them to their actual food. Like I first time I saw a kid taste like a real raspberry, not just from like the store, but actually like growing off the plant. Like it was just mind blowing. Like they were so excited to eat raspberries and like kale. And it's just like, you know, unheard of from the areas that some of them were from. But when they have access to it and they understand the process of it, they'll they'll eat it. And it's, it's a beautiful thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I resonate with that too. Cause the summers that I was teaching sustainable agriculture, there were so many firsts for a lot of kids that I experienced with them and they came from varying backgrounds. So it wasn't just inner city, but it was also suburban or rural communities. But whether it's from picking, picking produce for the first time and actually seeing where it comes from to um, that zucchini they just picked to learning how to cut food for the first time by themselves and some of them are like almost a teenager and not having the ability and the freedom to do that and then as soon as we were done making the recipe that we used with produce we harvested directly from the garden the look in their eyes when they go to eat that delicious delicious treat that they just made it's and for them it's 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 almost like life-changing yeah for sure yeah you did you definitely see the light in their eyes it's just a different taste it's a different feel and I mean you're just getting it that energy from like the natural source and so all those things that were important you know we need life you know you know we need water all those things like come from those organic you know raw fruits so yeah. mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's kind of crazy. Like, I always think about how much goes into the plant and no wonder they're just so good for us. You know, that's one thing gardening has taught me is like, 
wow, how much sun did it take to grow this, you know, tomato, this cucumber? How much water did I have to put in there? Where all that love and care we put into those things, like we're eating all that. That energy has to go somewhere, and that's all good energy. And uh, yeah, and it really makes you appreciate things. We get your hands in the ground and really be a part of that process. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's it's interesting when you kind of harvest things for the first time that you would necessarily buy in the store all the time. Cause like right now I am house sitting for friends uh, that have this huge property. It's like just shy of 30 acres, uh, not that far from where I live, but they have these 30 year old blueberry bushes and I love blueberries <laughs> and I, I've eaten blueberries so much over the years but to pick fresh blueberries with no no treatment of the plant at all just it naturally growing by itself the sweetness that comes from it is is so it's not comparable to what you buy in the grocery store it's that's how i feel about like tomatoes that's how i feel about pretty much everything like it's it's hard for me to buy like herbs now like because they're so easy to grow indoors like and I just like to cut them fresh and like go out and like do my thing with them so yeah yeah it definitely makes the biggest difference um so kind of before we start to wrap up and I have some fun questions to ask you um before we sign off do you have any other things you would like to add uh, yeah, I, I just say just start growing by any means, you know, especially now that we're in, you know, the pandemic season and uh, starting to let up a little bit, but I would say, you know, get connected in that way. I have like videos on like YouTube on how like if you don't know how much water something has, you can make like self-watering containers and things like that. And um, yeah, I would just say just, just check me out. I'm, I'm willing to teach and like help people out as they go along their journey and kind of go on that journey with me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think the biggest thing, like you said, it's, just, and we talked about earlier is that you can't, I guess you can't get bogged down with all the, these different things when it starts and when you start to garden and just realizing, try something small. Yeah. 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 And, and see where that goes. Yeah, because uh, I, I started like in a window. That's that's all I had access to. I didn't have access to any land. And, you know, even when I did had no clue what I was doing, you know, I still managed to find a way to like grow eggplants and tomatoes in a window. I was like growing in these like tiny six inch pots, which is like barely any space for like those types of things. But you mm-hmm. still get production and you keep learning and learning and you just keep growing. It's mm-hmm. the process. Yeah. And uh, actually, I do have, I do have something to ask as far as what you mentioned that um, when you talk, talked about how you started a garden just on one windowsill, did you grow up gardening at all? I'm curious if like, no. what was, what was your experience before that? My, my experience prior to gardening was like every time around the holidays when I was younger, like Christmas, Thanksgiving, I would go down to my grandmother's house. Uh, she lived in North Carolina. And we had these amazing like 
dishes like we had uh, like sweet potato pie we had like collard greens mac and cheese things like that and uh all things i knew from there were always fresh like we actually went out and got yams from the garden you know we mm-hmm. got collard greens from the garden and like brought them in and washed them and you know helped prep them and things like that you know we churned our own ice cream at one point things like that and wow. so from an early age, I knew what fresh food tastes like. I kind of lost it over the time and then kind of got back as I got older and like I started cooking more. Um, well, that was my first experience. But before that, honestly, I, I had a lot of experience that happened in a short period of time. It was like a three year kind of like turnover for me, like know nothing about gardening to me now <laughs> teaching other people about gardening. And now I'm like pretty much obsessed with it. And, you know, I do it for a career, you know, at the Washington Youth Garden. And then I also do it with my platform Afrobeats as well. So mm-hmm. I'm just happy to be in the space and happy to keep learning and sharing my thoughts with other people. Yeah. And it's been exciting to kind of follow your journey and to see what you've learned from other people and also mistakes that you've made along the way. Um, so my first quirky, fun question, I guess, to ask is, um, and I always love to hear what every guest um, thought is on this, but if you could define sustainability, what would it be? Uh, if I had to define, for me, sustainability is about giving back to whatever you're taking from or repurposing that to help somebody else. And so when I think of sustainability, I think of like composting, for example, um, you know, the process to grow all these different types of foods and things like that. Like, how can I use every part of this plant to give life to something else? And so when I think about sustainability, I'm, what am I giving life to and making sure I'm not wasting as much as possible? Mm-hmm. So if you could take that definition of sustainability and put it into one word, what would it be? One word... Hmm. I would say uh, repurpose, you know? yeah, repurpose everything. Mm-hmm. I, and I've, I've, over the last few episodes, it's interesting to hear some of the different things that uh, some guests have said. One was just simply sustain to... Uh, another one said green. So it's interesting to see what people's responses are. Yeah. So as being a vegan, what's your favorite mm. vegan dish? Oh, that was a hard one, man. There's just so many good one out of this. Um, favorite vegan dish. There's this place called uh, Farewell uh, in uh, DC. And it's basically, they used to be, um, I think it was called like sticky buns or something like that. It used to be just a bakery, but they made like a kind of like a diner situation. It's an all vegan diner. They do baked goods. They do, you know, breakfast foods, all kinds of stuff. And they have this uh, just Reuben made with like tempeh and like sweet potato fries. And that's probably pretty up there for me. Um, and their cookies are literally cracked. So if you're in DC, go to Farewell. Like it, it was a problem. Like when I was going through the stresses of teaching, I was mm. up in every day. Like it was wild. Yeah, mm-hmm. definitely, definitely the the vegan Reuben is like perfect. 
That sounds really good. Yeah. Um, but if you had to like make something at home, what would you say is your favorite like vegan dish mm -hmm. that you've made? Something that I've made at home. Um, but my solid go-to maybe like during the winter, um, it's called uh, Caldo Verde. It's like a, it's a, like a Portuguese um, Cape Verdean dish. And it's basically a soup with like kale, uh, like a plant-based sausage and the base is like potatoes. It's like mm. a potato kale soup mixed with like, I put butter beans in it, kale, uh, plant-based sausage. That's really good, very hearty. And uh, yeah, it'll, it'll go a long way. That sounds really good. <laughs> I was like hanging on to every word as you were <laughs> describing that. Yeah, yeah, the recipe is somewhere on Instagram. I'm, I'm getting back to the, the food blog uh, kind of things of what I do. I've been focused on garden a lot, but I'll definitely get back to that. Yeah, so, yeah. If you want the recipe, just let me know. Oh, I would totally be down for that recipe. Yeah, I got yeah. you. Um, but for me, I guess uh, for a while and kind of since starting this slow journey to becoming a vegan, I've been really craving falafels. And so I have some of the ingredients at home to make it, but I don't have quite like everything. Yeah. So it's, it's getting to the point where it's like, okay, I need to go to the store to buy this stuff to like satisfy this craving. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. The spice is definitely, definitely key in those types of dishes. But yeah, if you get some good stuff, yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So if you could... I guess switching gears here. So if you could uh, think of a sustainability brand that um, you've, sorry, I was like losing my train of thought as I was saying that. Um, what is your favorite sustainability brand if you have one? Sustainability brand, who's doing it well? Um, You know, I can't think of a specific brand. There's a small business in D.C. called Eat for Beauty D.C. Mm -hmm. And they're big into sustainability when they have events. Um, they're very much about looking at food through like a holistic lens. And when they have food events and they, they typically do like raw foods, they do foods that kind of like energize you. Um, they use a lot of sustainable materials so they have very like compostable like plates and like utensils and things like that they're very um they, have, they always have like a compost section for what they do and so i think they're doing it well when i think about sustainability they're always on point mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and as you're describing that i'm thinking in the fact of it being uh plastic free july <laughs> And that would yeah. be a, like a perfect business to highlight for that, for sure. Uh, so in addition to all the amazing work you could, that you do right now, uh, if you could have a dream job in sustainability, what would it be? Dream job in sustainability. You know, I would, I kind of like doing what I do now, more composting for sure. I would love to like we call it like black gold in like the garden community you know, like compost is such so rich in like nutrients and 
it really motivates me to continue to do that. So I'm trying to actually get a compost system started at home. We have a little bit at the youth garden. Um, we also do um, worm bins, which is cool because you almost have like pets uh, at home and they kind of like decompose of different scraps, uh, veggies and things you use. So I think I would do something if I was wanted to do a sustainability dream job, it would have to be something like composting for sure. I think mm -hmm. the process is so interesting. It's just super valuable, especially in the city. Yeah, and as you're describing that, um, that makes me think of like municipal composting programs and all the possibilities that could be endless there. Yeah, we have we have a ton of uh, composting services in the city. We have this organization called Compost Cab, where you keep your scraps and you give them your scraps like once a month, and they drop off compost for you. Um, that's a great one. I, I like that one as a sustainable. Um, brand as well. Mm -hmm. Any last thoughts before we wrap up? Yeah, I think that's it. I mean, I would say if you're looking uh, to get into the growing space, like start with your area first. If you're trying to build a community around it, there's already somebody in your area, I promise, that's already growing. Find out who's growing, connect with them, make your garden seen so you can connect to others on your street and just bring as many people as possible and you know, try to eat more plants because it's, it's better for the environment overall. Mm -hmm. And better for us. And better for us. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's it for today, y'all. That's it. That's that's a wrap. So go ahead and go to iTunes. You know, give your boy five stars. Throw a little comment in there. We're trying to get better each and every week. So if you're feeling your boy, go ahead and take care of that. Share this podcast with your fellow foodies and gardeners, and I'll talk to y'all next week. I love y'all. I appreciate y'all. And remember, keep moving to the beat of your own drum. Talk to you later, fam. Peace.